Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Tom Chafin on the show. Tom was born and grew up in Atlanta and spent his early professional years in journalism, living among other places, Savannah, New York City, San Francisco, and Paris. Chafin got his education at New York University and Emory University, where he received an MA and a PhD, respectively, and has taught U.S. history and at various institutions and has written articles, reviews, and essays in many magazines and publications. He was a frequent contributor to the New York Times' acclaimed Disunion series on the American Civil War. In 2012, he was a Fulbright Fellow in Ireland. The focus of our conversation today is Chafin's book, Pathfinder, John Charles Fremont and the Course of the American Empire. Please enjoy our conversation. So we started to cover Charles Fremont when we were talking about some of the early expeditions to California. And then we also covered him quite a bit during the Mexican-American War. I will say, though, one of the things that we didn't talk about too much in detail were his uh, first two expeditions before, uh, uh, before the Mexican-American War. So can you briefly talk about what the purpose and result of those first two expeditions west were? The uh, purpose of the first two expeditions, well, officially it was to, uh, um, let me, if I back up for a moment, Fremont, his explorations were all sort of nominally part of a, of a, of a federally sponsored scientific survey expedition to find a, uh, a, a usable route from the east to the Pacific coast. And uh, through, uh, through his talent and um, political ne- connection with a man named uh, Joseph Nicolet, he was able to um, uh, um, win commissions to conduct surveys in, uh, in the Appalachians originally in, in Georgia federal surveys, as well as um, two two surveys in the lower Mississippi Valley um, under the leadership of a a guy who was really his um, first mentor, uh, um, well, second mentor. His first mentor was Joel Poinsett. And then his second mentor was was uh, Joseph Nicolet, um, who was a French-born explorer who um, was hired by the U.S. to conduct the, the first part, this first phase of this trans-Mississippi uh, westward um, exploration. Fremont was the second in command of, of those first two that led by Nicolet. And Nicolet then dies of cancer. And then the, the third one, Fremont, sort of inherits the command of that. Um, and during that period, he also enhances his po- um, po- political stature by uh, eloping with the daughter of, of uh, Thomas Benton, who was the architect of the US expansion in the West at the time. Anyway, the, to answer your question, the, the, those first two expeditions were really to survey the uh, sort of loosely connected uh, 
pro provide scientific survey and kind of reliable empirical uh, um, information on, on, on a plausible kind of practical route to the West for American settlers. That later becomes known as the Oregon Trail that's after, after Fremont popularizes it. So we encounter a lot in early American history uh, surveying, for example, uh, Washington before and after his presidency often uh, engaged in surveying, but I don't know if we really know what that is, um, at least when I think about surveying, I kind of use my modern lens to think about what it is. What what would surveying look like uh, back then? Well, it 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 more involved. It, it it didn't involve survey chains and such. Uh, uh, it was more of uh, just uh, um, using um, the tools of that era, sextants and and um, those those kind of instruments. Um, uh, in Fremont's case, uh, um, I mean, sextants to obtain, to shoot the sun and get the uh, correct latitude um, and chronometers for the longitude. Um, but in Fremont's case, he was also using uh, um, something that uh, the Prussian ex explorer, uh, was Fremont's idol, Alexander von Humboldt, had, had been promoting using... Uh, um, barometers to determine altitude. Um, so Fremont was doing a lot of that, but um, but the other thing was, I mean, these were uh, these expeditions were to, to to gather data that could place, uh, you know, for for maps that would put Western exploration on a scientific scientific footing uh, most of the most of the information known of, of the west uh, from that day was was in the basis of like legends and rumors and frequently they they you know would list would uh, you know include accounts of rivers and deserts that didn't exist but the other thing fremont did was he both of those expeditions he um Fremont was a good writer, and so he he published um, the federal government published um, like narrative accounts uh, of, of the uh, expeditions, which included uh, not only geographical information but but you know pl practical information on how to avoid Indians and um, where where one could find potable water, um, that sort of thing. So kind of early travel guides, um, how, and I'm assuming that maps were made. Do we have a sense of how accurate those were? I think they were uh, as accurate as they could be for that day. Okay. So people could rely on them. They were, they were reasonably accurate. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's, let's transition and talk about uh, Fremont's role in the conquering of California. Again, this is kind of something we've covered in uh, some detail, uh, but can you uh, review for us what role he played on that third expedition, which got turned into um, a, a, a mission with a, a, a different purpose? Well, 
during that, um, actually, there's there's one more thing I'd like to add to to the to the initial part. Sure. Yeah, I, I was going to say in that at that uh, era, great map making was was more was often more about taking things off of maps rather than adding them. I mean, one of the things, one of the there were several, there were a number of myths that uh, um, uh, um, had, that had grown up concerning the geography of the American West. Pri that one of the principal ones was this this notion of a uh, this mythical Buena Ventura River that was a was a a, a a myth that went back to the Middle Ages that there was some east-west equivalent of the Mississippi that you know, broke through the Sierra at some point um, and flowed out to sea in California. And, and Fremont, by um, surveying, making a, 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 a thorough survey of the uh, eastern slope of the Sierra, is able, his map is able to definitively remove um, that river from the map. From maps, the other, I mean, another major thing he, he removes is the is the notion of the Great American Desert, which had been propagated. This is an idea that had been propagated by Stephen Long, who was an earlier um, federally sponsored explorer. Um, after Fre Fremont determines, by also he um, he determines that the that not only is the West, the American West, a lot more ecologically variegated than previously known, but it's it's more would be more amenable to to settle to uh, human settlement. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, on the third expedition, he's uh, asked to uh, spend more time in other areas, like principally the the Rockies. Um, the Central Rockies, and he ends up in in California, and um, he becomes inadvertently a, a group of American settlers who are living in what's then Mexican, the Mexican territory of California, uh, come to him. They they have this incipient insurgency. And, and they, they draft Fremont to, to lead that. It becomes what's, what's known as the Bear Flag Revolt. And through his leadership of that, um, he becomes caught up in the, in the larger, uh, what becomes the US-Mexican War and becomes kind of the nominal conqueror of California for, for the US, but it's really a, his role is, is, is mostly just being at the right time at the right place. He, he didn't really, that, and he really didn't accomplish anything militarily in that. He just happens to be the guy who, who shows up to, uh, to sign the, the, the treaty by which the title is, is transfer of California, for California is transferred from, um, Mexico to the United States, and that's really the and that's really the apex of his career. Everything after that is is sort of um, not downhill, but it's uh, he's increased in increasingly reduced stature. And that's interesting. It's kind of the Woody Allen line about 
90% is just showing up. So for Fremont, it was just showing up in California at the right time. And when you talk about conquering California, one of the things that we've talked about before is, is uh, you know, uh, what was standing in the way and uh, the very small population of California at that point uh, meant that, you know, conquering California uh, wasn't a huge taxing activity like conquering Mexico City might have been. I've always thought of, of him as, as the uh, sort of the, uh, the 19th century application of the Peter principle in which one is um, is gifted at one, one thing and then it ends up being promoted to into areas that in which one lacks equivalent competencies. Fremont uh, was very good at, at leading like small exploring parties. The, 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 the men who served with him swore by him and they, and he, he had a, a, like a dogged work ethic. I said, I think I said in my book, it would put like, it makes, he had a work ethic that would make Benjamin Franklin look like a slacker. Um, you know, he would, he would be up all, all nights, uh, all times of night taking, you know, readings of, of stars and stuff. Um, and he had a, I think I, I, I say, I think I say in the book, he had a jeweler's eye for understanding how um, rivers and mountains, deserts, et cetera, cohere into a continental whole. Um, but he also had, Throughout, I mean, he was—he had no equivalent gifts as a as a military figure, or or um, and he also had a, a career crippling disdain for authority, mm. which which would get him into a lot of trouble. Actually, at his his apex, I mentioned a minute ago, when he's you know being praised as the hero of, of conquering hero of California, he manages to get himself into a dispute with. Um, uh, I think it's uh, not Larkin. His, can't remember his nemesis. One of there. the military governors. Yeah, yeah. Um, which leads to his court martial. Hmm. So, given that that is his apex, in in some ways, perhaps then his greatest achievement is really opening up the West in a certain sense of the word, and not you necessarily you know, using greatest in the positive sense, depending on your point of view about the expansion West. Um, can we talk a little bit about uh, his relationship with the railroad industry um, and how did, how did his uh, background experience and achievements, uh, how did it help bring railroads to California? I, I don't, I don't think he, um, I think by the time he was involved with that, you um, about the railroad surveys or, or his interest as an investor? Uh, I guess kind of a little bit of both, probably more of the former. Okay, well, he, his father-in-law, the, when the secession, the secession of the South was, was sort of on the um, horizon um, there were several um, competing railroad surveys that the federal government was sponsored. It sponsored, and, and they each enjoyed like that uh, was if by then that, that had become a kind of partisan enterprise. Um, this this 
interests in the South, senators in the South, Jefferson Davis, in other words, sponsored the, sponsoring these routes, proposed routes that would, you know, go to the, through Texas, et cetera. And the Northern states were, were promoting more northerly routes. And Fremont had this idea of, um, I think there had been, um, the San Juan mountains of Colorado were considered a kind of critical junction. And someone had, had already surveyed that, but, but Fremont said, well, they, they were, this was, this survey was conducted in, in, um, you know, good weather. We need, we need, uh, proof that this could be done. Um, this is plausible as an all weather route, but I, I and, and it, um, it was not a useful time. And he, he was, um, the, the, his, his, he and his party barely got out alive. I think that was more just to give him something to do. I mean, he was, a uh, basically an out of work explorer and his, his, uh, father-in-law Benton arranged that. Um, as far as the in, in investments, th those were, um, um, Myriad and I, I can't remember the details, but he, he, you know, he had no skills as a, as a businessman, but I, I, I can't tell you this though, as far as you, to your question about his role in the railroads coming to California, I think his role there, I mean, this just occurs to me, it's indirect, but it goes back to, I mean, I think it was Fremont that really through his writings, I mean, he becomes his, his, uh, his writings are, are, are very popular. Actually, when, when Thoreau is at Walden Pond, he's reading a, a, a serial of, 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 of uh, Fremont's journals from, that was being published. He, he became a kind of national figure. And I think he, he's the one who, who made the, the idea of a, uh, of a continental nation continental United States are kind of plausible for, for most Americans. It, prior, to, prior to Fremont, the, the, the U.S. had this idea of, of a, if, if there was to be an empire, it would be like kind of mercantile on the British model and kind of, you know, outward looking. Um, I mean, it was Fremont who, who said, you know, this whole continent is, can be settled. And actually, and, and excuse me, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the book. It just came out two years ago. Um, it's called Imperfect Union, How Jesse and John Fremont Mapped the West, Invented Celebrity, and Helped Cause the Civil War. I think that book really captures this kind of uh, the celebrity element of it and how that, uh, how that really uh, made the West realized in some ways for people. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, his short stint as a Senator. Um, I don't know if he, uh, holds the record for the, the shortest, uh, time as a U.S. Senator, but, um, he's got to be up there. Uh, so he, he served, he actually served in the Senate for less than a year. If, if my memory serves, why was his, why was his term so short? And he was the first senator from California, correct? No, there was a uh, 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 at the same time Gwen 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. What's his what's his name? Gwen, I don't remember. Anyway, they they were both elected at the legislature at the same time, but you know, because because of the need to have staggered terms, they drew straws and the other guy got the longer, the full longer term and Fremont got, I think two years, but, but then it was, it was further shortened by uh, when he, he went to Washington and, and, and his uh, um, service was delayed by um, the politics of, of, of the statehood for California. So I, I want to say, I, I just looked at it this morning. It was just 26 days, maybe. <laughs> very short. Do you attribute that to just personality defects or what do you attribute uh, why he was such a, a shirt and only, uh, you know, only ultimately? A well, I mean, in that case, it, that was, that was really not his. Well, the, the fact that his, his term was so short was that was, that had to do with the negotiation of what became the compromise of 1850. Um, so he, and he, he didn't, he really, to my knowledge or my understanding, never didn't, never did not play a significant role in that. Um, the, um, as to why he was not reelected. I'm not even sure that he was seeking reelection. I can't remember whether he was, but he, he was, uh, yeah, that was a kind of a, a lackluster turn in his public life. And, but it didn't stop him from uh, the Republican party when it was being organized a few years later from coming to him um, and making him his, their first uh, candidate. Now that was based more on his, as much on his um, national celebrity. They were looking for a, uh, a, a kind of good looking, attractive candidate. Um, but um, again, he, he was, you know, he had no skill for politics really. And that explains why he lost the election of uh, 1856? Yeah. Well, then that, that not alone, but I mean, the, the politics is, as you well know, were kind of very complex and muddled by then. Okay. Um, can you talk it a little bit about that? Help that he was, I, I'm sorry. I was just saying he, he was kind of a, for that, during that campaign, he was really a cipher for other um, candidates or other kind of um, people behind the scene. And uh, at that point, there were uh, he he followed the tradition of, of of not campaigning in the modern sense, and was it just assumed that the celebrity would do the work of that for him? Um, I think there was some of that, but there, again, it was. Uh, I think we have to be careful to, in, in in thinking that that he's controlling everything, or or I mean, a lot of this is is just has to do with forces that are you know larger larger than him and beyond his control that were going on with the the north south uh, division sectional divisions. Um, one more question before we kind of take a big picture on him. Um, 
Can you talk briefly about uh, his involvement in the Civil War? Um, what, what role did he play? He was, he was, uh, I think he was military governor of, of Missouri, I think. Um, again, this is, I'm, I'm not fresh on the details, but he, anyway, he was based in St. Louis and there was a guerrilla war going on in, in uh, between pro and anti-Confederate forces in Missouri. And, um, Fremont at a certain point to um, sort of up the ante without consulting President Lincoln, he, he issues an emancipation proclamation for slaves in the state of Missouri. And Lincoln is not ready to play that card yet. He's still trying to entice the South. You know, he doesn't want to play that card to, anyway. So he's... Um, Lincoln asks him to withdraw that. And he basically says, no, I'm not going to do it. And then eventually his wife, Jesse, calls on Lincoln and, and is equally adamant that, that that's not going to happen. And so Lincoln fires him. Um, the two things about that though, I, um, one of the, th so Fremont is a, tactical guy is, is not very you know, compelling. We, we, we already knew that. I mean, he was really, Lincoln appointed him to that position basically to placate radicals, radical Republicans for whom um, Fremont was a kind of icon by then. But Fremont did do two significant things. He put, one is he brings in Grant, who later proves to be the ace in the hole for the union effort. He also, um, I mean, I, I've, I've heard it argued, and I, I can't really disagree with this, that he, 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 that Fremont's issuing of the Emancipation Proclamation does put down that as, as a marker for Lincoln to do it nationally later. Hmm. And, and Fremont, by the way, was, was later, um, after Lincoln fired him was sort of pressured by the same radical Republicans to put him, put him back into the game. And, and he, he's put in, in, in the uh, Virginia theater and, and is equally, or even more incompetent um, in, in, in dueling against uh, Stonewall Jackson, the Confederate general there. So it was a kind of undistinguished um, turn as a, as a civil war commander. Let's, let's kind of take a step back here. Sure. Um, and <laughs> given the way we've been talking about Fremont, um, it's, hard to, it's hard to evaluate his legacy because a lot of it feels um, based on legend, mythology, and accident. Um, and so when you're kind of thinking about Fremont and his, and his legacy, um, what what role do you would you think of him in terms of his uh, as a participant and um, kind of a leader in this expansion west? How do you how do you see his legacy? I think um, his gift I think his gift was he he was a very smart uh, um, 
like I said, he 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 was very uh, um, educated in in uh, mathematical and and just and and just the 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 tools of of um, map making and exploration. And he, he knew, uh, you know, he was very. Um, astute in, in those skills and, and had a dogged work ethic and, a, and a, the imagination necessary to understand how landscapes cohere into holes um, and an impeccable sense of, of direction. Um, and and like, as I said before, he was very skilled at lead, leading these small exploring parties. So I think that's his when I think about him, I think his his main contribution is he uh, um, he put map making of the West on a scientific foundation, and he also, through his skills as a writer and and just a celebrity, and it turns out he, you know, he popularized the the American West. He, he also I, I failed to mention he he. What's now known as the um, um, Ap the not Appalachian, not the the Oregon Trail. I mean, that's that's Fremont's. That's that's part of his legacy, and that's the that that prompts that creates the first mass migration in, into the American West. There had been a sort of trickle of settlers uh, on that following that route, but um, with after Fremont, there's this becomes a, a kind of surge of it. Uh, it's just parenthetically, by, by way of contrast, Lewis and Clark uh, is probably more famous, uh, a more famous Western exploration. That was like decades before Fremont. And Jefferson had given Jeff, uh, Lewis and Clark contradictory instructions. He said, find a practical route to the Pacific and and find the wet headwaters of the Missouri River. Well, they found the headwaters of the Missouri River, and uh, they the headwaters lie up in the uh, Snake Mountains in an obscure, really obscure area. I mean, I've camped in that. I've, I've backpacked. If you if you're looking for a, I always I always tell people if you're looking for scenery, go with Lewis and Clark because the area that they explored is still kind of almost virgin country but it's it's also a very difficult um um a, a difficult route the 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 that lewis and clark eventually found their way to the pacific but it was over very uh, torturous terrain fremont's route by the way is by contrast is basically interstate 80 <laughs> it's with south pass through wyoming and it's very gradual um and that, so that 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 was a um, that became South Pass was kind of the key to um, uh, the first mass migration of, by whites into the uh, American West. So you feel Fremont, like Fremont's they, legacy should be up there with Lewis and Clark, um, and not not as some kind of footnote, but as a as a major piece. And I'm saying, well, I'm I'm saying. I think I think one could argue that Lewis and Clark should be the footnote. Mm, okay. 
uh, because that's the other thing. There was really when um, Jefferson dispatched Lewis and Clark to the West, I mean, that was more out of, as much out of Jeff, Jefferson's intellectual curiosity. There was no um, real demand then for westward expansion. Um, and like, for instance, a measure of that, Lewis and Clark's federally, federally um, published account of their expedition, I think it sold, it was like fewer than a thousand copies and it was out of print for maybe 80, 80 years or so after that. Fremont's, um, and there was no, and people, I think people often forget that there was absolutely no follow-up um, to, to their expedition. It, 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 um, Fremont's, by contrast, it, it sold in the thousands and, and was serialized in, in, you know, by magazines and journals, and it, it really captured the public's imagination. And again, led to actual migration there was no there after Lewis and Clark. There were there were not. I don't think there were many people like you know, retracing his um, um, their route into you know across the more northerly route across the country. Then, so it seems like Fremont's achievements, you know, because we are all familiar with this concept of the Oregon Trail. Um, lasted well his name as as the uh, uh, the kind of uh, trailblazer um, has been lost to us um, and I wonder if that's just the fact that you know Lewis and Clark went first uh, the first mover idea that the first one there is the one that gets to kind of claim the claim the name for whatever it is um, is that is that why you think Fremont um, hasn't been as important in our historical memory of, of the exploration of the West? Um, perhaps, I'm just thinking about that. because uh, I'm thinking, wondering aloud here whether uh, Lewis and Clark's I think there maybe our era celebrates them more than contemporary their their contemporaries did. Like uh, Fremont, for instance, I mean, I think Longfellow was contemplating writing an epic poem about Fremont. The other thing he did was um, it's a, it was a it was sort of a typically grandiloquent gesture. He he. In the Wind River Range in Montana, on his first expedition, he climbs what he um, believed to be the highest peak in the Rockies. It wasn't, but, but it, um, and that becomes a, uh, um, and he describes it, and there, there's an engraving of it in, his, in, in the published account and that that becomes a, a moment for the country it's, it's almost I, I i think it was almost like neil neil armstrong or he, he plants the u.s flag at the top and that becomes for the country an equivalent to neil armstrong landing on the moon and, and the and also um 
he's also at that point gone beyond what most people, uh, gone farther west than most people thought that the, the U.S. would would end up going. So it's that's uh, that's a, a kind of a major moment for him. That that that's really enshrined in the public memory. And well, to to bridge this a little bit, um, you have a broader interest um, in expeditions and exploration. Um, and your most recent book, which just came out uh, February, Odyssey, Young Charles Darwin, The Beagle and the Voyage that Changed the World. Um, we'll talk about that in a second, but more broadly, uh, what interests you about explorers and expeditions? Um, I guess as a child, I, I, I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta, but, you know, we, we would always, we could always find these, uh, uh, you know, forests and hills to climb. So, I mean, that sort of, I guess, goes back to my childhood, but, um, I mean, I, I, I just, I'm, I don't know about you, but I, I was always fascinated as a kid, just hearing stories about Magellan and Columbus and other explorers. That's and, not a profound answer, but yeah, no, it it's, it's your answer. And yeah. what what makes um, the uh, uh, the subtitle of your book is a strong claim, which is that uh, um, the voyage on the Beagle uh, is a voyage that changed the world. What do you mean by that? Well, Darwin, when he um, embarks on that voyage, um, his he 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 was an unproven, untested naturalist. He actually had no formal role on, on that ship. The, the Beagle was actually like Fremont. It was a surveying expedition. It was a global surveying expedition. For, it turned out it lasted five years. It was to update um, British charts of, of ports, significant ports and coastlines, mostly in, in South America where um, uh, Britain, there was a heightened competition among uh, European states and the United States to uh, increase trade with the Portugal and Brazil and, and um, Spain's former colonies now independent states. And so Fremont just was able to just, um, he came along on that voyage basically to serve as a, as, as a dining a companion for the ship's captain who was had an interest in natural history. Anyway, Darwin, his 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 ambition then was to make a name for himself as a geologist. And what he was up against then, or what what the geologists were up against, was this persistent belief that the the, the world um, that anything you needed to know about geology, you had to it was in the Bible. So so to explain the creation of the earth, the, the geologists would, it was more of, of finding ways, I mean, one to um, ra rationalize biblical explanations. Uh, the, the common figure was that the earth had been created in 6,000 years. And so Darwin is, is one of these uh, figures of that era who, who demonstrates that the earth is, is far older than that and that, um, um, 
the there's a fluidity through time of you know origin of species and the development of species. So in some ways, Fremont and Darwin to create a through line through these two books of yours, uh, they're both um, kind of working in a world of uh, mythology. Um, and they're trying to create more accurate maps of that world, uh, whether that's a map yeah, so that's, of, that's well, well put. Yeah. A map yeah. of the West. Yeah. Um, and so, and their achievements are in creating, giving people a clear sense of the world of reality. Yeah. More of a, of, of, yeah, of, of um, a world that's uh, seen through more of you, uh, more of a scientific lens than a, um, biblical or, or um, in Fremont's case, oral. Fremont was also up against the sort of myths sort of enshrined in oral history. Mm -hmm. that weren't necessarily, you know, religion based. Yeah. Let's, um, let's close by uh, talking about books. Um, these can be, you know, anything that's of interest to you. Um, whether it's history of the West or history of different explorers, um, what are two or three books that are either important to you or you've been interested in lately? Well, I just, uh, yesterday afternoon, I just finished this one. I've <laughs> uh, been reading a lot of books on, uh, uh, this is uh, The Road to Unfreedom by Timothy Snyder, who's a, a historian at Yale. It's a, a, a book that's... Um, He's a historian of the East, uh, Eastern Europe and Russia. Um, His books are great. I just yeah. working through yeah. Bloodlands right now, and there's no he's he's about as timely of a writer that we can have right now. Yeah, and actually, I've, I've just before him, I just read a. I never can remember the name of it. Um, uh, Angela. Um, I think it's called Putin's People, Angela Stent, I think. It was very good. Uh, actually, I, I'm I was thinking of getting Bloodlands, basically getting that today. Um, actually, but I, I read di diverse stuff. I mean, I read took a biography. I'm just looking at some recent stuff I've read. Here's a biography of Stephen Sondheim, Alexander Pope's essays, this, The Search for... Alexander the Great, um, but I was I was thinking about just books on California that, that I've read. I've read a lot of books over California, and I, I've I've lived in California three different times in my life. Um, um, longest was I lived in San Francisco from like three or four years in the eighties, and the books I read then. Um, um, uh, that really sort of fired up my interest in California it was where um, an island called no the California the Great Exception by Carrie McWilliams, uh, an island called California by Alina Baker. It's kind of a do you know that one? I'm not familiar with that one. No. She, um, When I lived there, she was still around. Uh, I think she lived up in, in Marin, but it's it's just a, a good kind of ecological guidebook to the state. 
uh, and I'm sure you know this, Californians in the American Dream by uh, Kevin Starr. And uh, one that you might know is, uh, or might not know is, is, is not as well known as, but Empires in the Sun, uh, Peter Wiley. Uh, Empires in the Sun, The Rise of the New American West by Peter Wiley and Robert Gottlieb, which I, I actually, I, I remember reviewing that for the Progressive when I lived in San Francisco. Um, anyway, those, those are like, oh, and one other thing one I thought of, this is more uh, the American, just if I can recommend if somebody's just interested in the American West, it's, it's the, um, Roderick Nash's uh, Wilderness and the American Mind. Do you know that one? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, it, um, I think he taught at Stanford. I've never, I've never met him, but um, I think he passed away a few years ago. But uh, anyway, I, I highly recommend that. It's good stuff on, on uh, particularly on, on the um, the Hetch Hetchy um, debate with with uh, John Muir sort of pits John Muir against uh, was it Pinchot and, and, and Teddy Roosevelt. And, um, and more recently, I finally read uh, a few years ago, uh, which I, uh, Grapes of Wrath, which I, it's very, uh, doesn't need my endorsement, but uh, I think that's, that's a very vivid account of, of um, the sort of beginnings of California agribusness. Well, those are all great recommendations. Thank you. Um, can we just conclude by talking about uh, what's what's next for you? The book just came out. Um, is there already something in the works uh, that you're thinking about in the future, or do you have some book events coming up? Um, I have a lecture at the uh, American Philosophical Society, but I don't have the date in front of me. Um, as for book, I, I, I've got several ideas, sort of I'm circling, but I'm sort of not ready to, to talk about them yet. Okay. But I, I appreciate your asking. Absolutely. And where can uh, people go to find, uh, find, find your books, find more about what you're working on? Well, I, my uh, website's Tom Chafin, T-O-M-C-H-A-F-F-I-N.com. I, 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 actually, that's where you, I, I, you can find a, about my writings and um, books and articles, as well as my uh, upcoming um, date, lecture dates. Um, and as far as the um, buying my book odyssey uh, i always recommend your local independent bookstore uh, or or, or it's, of course it's on amazon as well yeah well yeah um however you get it uh, please get uh, this book um and thanks for talking with me i really appreciate it oh my pleasure thank you Thanks for listening, folks. As always, you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating or review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash history of California. We'll see you next time.